I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. Welcome to another edition of the Lost of Words DFS podcast. I will apologise in advance. My nose is blocked and I sound really full of cold and flu and horrendous. And unfortunately, Matt Vincenzi has to look at me whilst I'm talking and, and stuffed with a nose. But Matt, hello. Hey, Tom. Uh, how's it going? we got a really exciting week in golf here, huh? We have. I mean, it's this is a really monumental time. Like, I know we've kind of talked about it a lot on Twitter and haven't really discussed it too much on here, just not even because I want to jump around the subject, because I'm quite open with it, but I just, I feel like I don't want it to eat into the events that we're actually covering, but, like, the DP World Tour showed no solidarity against the Live, and I know it was a Scandinavian mix, which is like a bit of a gimmicky event in some people's eyes, and, you know, it's going to be hard to get players to go there the week before the US Open, but... You know, it looks like the PGA players have kind of made a stance and gone, right, we'll play the Canadian Open. I don't know if that's coincidental or not. You know, a lot of the players probably would have been there anyway. Rory was defending champion. But I think, like, Thomas was a bit of a late ad. Maybe Smith was a bit of a late ad. So, you know, I think I think there's probably... They've made a little bit of an effort to kind of combat the live stuff. Um, but obviously, as we're talking, the news is kind of just broken that all the guys are going to be eligible for the US Open, regardless of whether they play live or not. And... Uh, that's one of the question marks down. Yeah, and I think that's you know definitely the right decision, and I I think it's one you know that we pretty much expected going into this. I think it'd be very difficult for them to keep keep those guys out of the U.S. Open. Um, I just think it would be a you know a legal <coughs> nightmare for them. Yeah. So yeah, so kind of what we expected, and I'm glad they can still play in the U.S. Open. You know, I mean, and that's really what matters with a especially with a guy like Dustin Johnson. I mean, if he can still play in the majors, he. He doesn't care about winning the events like the Travelers anymore anyway. So I think it's a, you know, it's a good situation for him. This is a thing with, like, there's all this thing about, like, Dustin Johnson has a legacy and how does he want to just wash this up, right? But he's, his legacy is, you know, it's concrete. It's done. Like, if he never won another event again, and that could happen if he didn't, you know, if he stayed on the PJ Tour, right? The talent's so good that, like... If he had, what was it, 20 wins or whatever and two major championships? like 25, I think. Yeah, like, what else does he need to do? Like, just go and take your money in Dustin and, and enjoy it. Like, and if he can play four majors a year and he's always going to be at the Masters and he's, for the good part, going to be at the US Open, like, I guess the next thing now is sanctioning the OWGR points, which I thought they had sorted out with the with the Asian tour, but apparently that's still a bit up in the air. I did too. Um, and, I, you know, about the DJ thing, I, was, uh, I wrote an article today that's coming out tomorrow um, for Action Network about guys to keep uh, an eye on for their odds when the odds reset next week and i'm thinking dg might get dropped a bit yeah. if he gets down to 30 35 to 1 and, and he's <coughs> open in the northeast i think that's something we could jump on and imagine the story if he goes out and wins the u.s open after all this uh, i mean it, it would just be it would just be dj to a t right like, i think and then to be honest i would never hold it against him like i, I can see why people have an objection to Saudi Arabia. Like, that's not the point here. It's just, I don't know how you look your family, friends, partner, whatever, in the eye and say, I just turned down 125 million because it doesn't feel right. It right. just feels really, really difficult. Um, maybe that makes you a better man than me. I, I don't know, but I, it certainly wouldn't be me that did it. So, uh, you know, if they, if they want to pay me £300,000 a year to cover the live tour, then... Uh, I will listen to what they've got to say. But yeah. um, 
on to that, I, th- I think this is a good tournament, this Canadian Open. I think it's nice to, to have this event back. It's one I've always enjoyed. It's, it's really hard because the recent data at the Canadian Open is based on Glen Abbey for the, for the most part. Like That is the, the course that we've seen for so long. Uh, what was it played between uh, 2016 and 2018 and also 15, 13, 9, 8. So, you know, it's, it's basically been the main stop since 2000. Well, even since like 1998, they, they kind of went away from Glen Abbey every now and then. Um, which is a completely different test to this one. Do you think that we can garner anything from the 2019 leaderboard that saw Rory beat Lowry and Webb by seven shots? I, I do think so. It looks like, you know, if you take Rory away, and which I think you can, because when he's hot, it doesn't really matter. He's he's fits any course, any style. He's long and straight. That can you can you That works everywhere. Um, but I think if you take him away, it's kind of a similar type of skill set. Guys, <coughs> I think hitting, hitting the fairway was pretty important in that week, and I think it will be this week again. Um, I think it's going to be more of a kind of a precision type test. Uh, I think smaller greens, kind of some false fronts that make it difficult to have some uh, landing areas. So I do think that one you can definitely take something from with Glen Abbey as, you know, it's kind of a much different setup. So probably nothing from that. Yeah. I mean, you've got Webb Simpson and Shane Larry in second, who are guys that play well at the Heritage, which is one that keeps coming up. Uh, the players just came up an awful lot for me. Uh, we just sort of spoke off air about the guys. And, and these are, You'd think these were like creator player names at this point. But um, I think Carl Pettersson had a decent finish at the players one year. Uh, that, that isn't the one I've based it on. But Luke Donald uh, has had top three finishes in both, finished second at the Players' Championship um, back in like 2005. Dean Wilson, who finished second here, had a top ten at the players. Tim Clark and Matt Kuchar, who finished fourth here in 2010, also won the players. Jeff Quinney was fourth here in 2010, finished third and sixth at the players. And Greg Chalmers and Bryce Mulder, who tied Quinny, also finished ninth and twelfth at the players. So, when you've got that list of players like that, that you certainly wouldn't expect to be players, champions, or contenders, and they they are, you know, for the most part inside the top ten, it feels like there's a really strong link there. And I, I think the golf course has probably changed in twelve years, and you know, you, you can't rely on that kind of data, but. It certainly seems... I mean, even like Kevin Nile was 13th here after that massive group at tied 4th, and he's been third at the Players' Championship. Um, I think like, even like... There's just ridiculous names. Like, Michael Letzig was another one that's played well at the Heritage. Like, it seems to be the Heritage and the Players uh, are good places. Brendan Young's played okay at the Players as well. So, you know, I, th- I think there's just plenty to garner from the Players' Championship if that's something you want to look at in terms of correlating courses. Yeah, it might be a good angle to go down too because I mean I'm kind of lost when I'm looking at the bottom of this field because it's so top heavy and it drops off so hard that you kind of need something to go off of because a lot of these guys, I know 7,500 and below have just really no recent form whatsoever. Yeah, and I, I th- do you think it's just generally like any short course you can kind of apply this to? Like, is it just short courses in general like Heritage, Players, uh, Honda? Sony, like, I know there's obviously different grass types and different tests and things like that, but is it just those guys that play those kind of courses well, RSM, that, that kind of come into your thinking? I, I think so, just because, you know, if you look at some of these events with the longer courses and these guys who don't hit it so far are trying to keep up with the big hitters on tour, and I think that probably, you know, lends itself to them missing more fairways than they normally would. So I think it takes a lot of pressure off those types of guys, and, um, you know, maybe it maybe it enables them to play better, and I think yes, the shorter hitting types could definitely do well here. It seems like a lot of these holes are going to have forced layups too, to where they can't even take driver out of the bag, and they're going to have to you know hit iron off the tee. 
Which is probably better for some of the guys at the kind of top right that are maybe struggling with their drivers or, you know, been in and out with it. But let's go into the top then. Uh, we've got, what have we got? We've got six players above 10k. So Scotty Scheffler, 11-1. Not much to uh, explain there. Justin Thomas, 10-9. Rory McIlroy, 10-5. Cameron Smith, 10-3. Shane Lowry, 10-1. And Sam Burns, 10,000 flat. I'm assuming Rory McIlroy is going to get most of the ownership just because of that discount on the two other guys. Yeah, it's looking like that, and I I can't dis- disagree with that at all. Um, I'm a little, I'm not confused why he's priced beneath them. The other two guys have won very recently, both won majors very recently. But I think, as ter- in terms of a setup and everything, I think this is is much more suited for Rory McIlroy. I kind of, you know, I bet a couple guys beneath him, but I, he's the guy who I'm worried about is going to go and just you know win this thing by five shots. I think he's the one as well that needs to win the most. You know I mean, like I know this majors are firmly in his focus, and if you take, uh, if you look at the major next week as a negative for Scheffler and Thomas, that they might be distracted by that. You could say the same for Rory, but it feels like he's the one that actually needs an immediate victory. Like, I know you haven't got to go far back, but you know, what is it, the CJ Cup in you know late last year? But it just feels like even that week was like almost a little bit of a luck boxing finish and I just feel like he probably does need a win in 2022 just to to re-get you know rekindle the spirits yeah and I think he needs a win going to a major as well I think he's tried everything right he tried for a long time not playing the week before he tried playing the week before I think you know he's he's kind of lost in terms of the best way to prepare I think maybe the best thing for him would be a play at an event where he really uh, fits nicely. He's won the Canadian Open. I think it's a similar course to Hamilton, like we talked about. So I think maybe you <coughs> can think win this one, get hot, get some momentum, because he is one of those two players on tour who, who, once they win once, can actually start to reel them off. Yeah, I mean, I mean you look back at this a long time ago now, but it was the last major championship of the Open Championship 2014. He won the Open Championship, then he won the Bridgestone. Uh, I think it was two weeks later, and then he won the PGA Championship the week after. So, like that was the way he approached things, and I know. That isn't Roy McIlroy anymore, and we can't rely again on on such old data. But to your point, like it's probably the best approach he had. I mean, he was fifth at the Bridgestone the the week before winning the PGA Championship in 2012 as well. Like that seems to be a good run for him. Um, so I guess it's I guess it's beneficial that he's playing, and I do think that he's the type that you want to get a victory before he goes into Brookline next week. Yeah, absolutely. Would he be your guy that would lead your team? Yes, yes. Um, I'm still debating whether I want to kind of go more balanced just because it's so hard when you pay up to make a good team just because the the bottom, you know, part of this field is so weak. But, um, you know, if I, you know, if I played, I'd probably do half my lineups with him starting it and then the other half balanced. I do think he is the guy. The ownership will be higher than the others, but I don't think it's going to get out of control. I don't see it being much higher than 20%. I'm perfectly willing to pay that Um you know, and JT and, and Scotty might be around the 15, 16%. So I'm willing to eat the ownership and the price on McElroy. I keep thinking that I can rule out Cameron Smith and the, and the runs are going to end. And he was poor in the final round last week. But, you know, he overcome really bad course for the Memorial to play well last week. And I just think this is a really good test for him. He's missed two cuts in the Canadian Open prior, but that was both uh, Glen Abbey. And this is just a much more suitable course. We've already mentioned the heritage where he's got a top 10 and had a first round lead back a while ago. And obviously he's won the Players' Championship this season already. Like fourth at the RSM as well. It, it just feels like this season, actually, he's even just in a microscope, he's played these type of courses really well. And 
that's probably just what his career's been about. So I think Cameron Smith's actually a really interesting, you know, person to pick here. He's definitely an interesting pivot because I don't think he's going to be popular at all. And I think leading into the event last week, he was hot on his approach. Um, he's gained 6.7, 3.5, 9.7 strokes in approach leading to the event. Last week, the approach wasn't very good. The irons were off all week. Um, and he lost two strokes off the tee last week. And uh, he gained almost six around the green and three putting. So I think a lot of short game, which it always is. But when you com- combine that with him actually playing really well from tee to green, that's why he was you know, almost unbeatable for a stretch. Whereas now I think that you know, the short game could make up for some other shortcomings. And you know, I, that's a little worrisome, especially off the tee here. I mean, when he gets in trouble, it's because he sprays it. Yeah, and I could see him spraying it this week, and that you know I think will be trouble if he does. But then the, you know to your earlier point, maybe he's the type that can club down with that little bit of extra distance that he's found. And you know, just looking at the approach numbers from last week, and although he was only a marginal gainer, he actually gained over a stroke on the first day, and and you know was thirty fifth in the field, was thirty third in the field uh, the final day, and even when he lost strokes in, um, on Saturday, he was thirty sixth. So he was middle of the pack really. It was only one really bad day. Uh, on Friday of his approaches. So I feel like he's actually, you know, it, it could be quite quick to say that, and I know that's not what you're saying, but I think I think it could be quite quick to rule out that his, his approaches are back to what they should be. And I think he could carry that on here, especially in a course that I think is more suitable. He's sneaky, that's for sure. He's sneaky and he's uh, good enough to win anywhere. And I think he's going to probably the pivot play. If I, you know, had to rank ownership here, I think he's going to be beneath Rory, JT, and Scheffler, and Lowry. So... And Burns, I think he'll be the least, you know, the least owned guy above 10k, so maybe not a bad little contrarian play. Yeah, I, th- I think I would go with that just based on that kind of information and and the players link. I really do like that. Um, what do you do with Shane Lowry and Sam Burns? I know your your general feelings on Sam Burns are this can't continue, but it seems to. Uh, <laughs> Shane Lowry, I feel like can't continue and he can't keep up his ball striking. That feels like that's dropping off a little bit. Um, you know, only one round last week where he really gained up his approach. And if he's not hitting the ball as well as he was before, then I feel like the results can be tougher to come. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much done with Lowry for the time being. I was uh, kind of off him last week, and that worked out fine. He's, it's just it's just starting to tail off for him, right? He um, 32nd in the Memorial at a place where a lot of people <coughs> thought he was going to go well. You had the Firestone comp, um, but he was okay. He was okay. Uh and I still, think, I still think he could be okay. I just don't see him winning this event. Um, and at 10-1, the, I want to have confidence that the guy can win that I'm plugging in there, and I just don't have that with him. Are you going back to Fitz again one last time? <laughs> well, so you ever have like an ex-girlfriend where you know it's not, it's not going to work out, but you keep thinking, thinking of the good times, and if we could just try one more time, this might be the one, and then it doesn't work out again. That, that's where I'm at with Fitz right now, and I'm going to give it one more try, even though I, I, I probably know how it ends, but if, you know, if it were to work anywhere, and I've said it before, though, it's probably here. Um, you know, I think last week was so strange in that he lost 7.3 strokes putting in two rounds. Yeah, that was which just is, unusual. And he was second in the field from Tita Green after that, so... <laughs> The last time we saw him miss a cut was at Heritage, and then he finishes um, second the next week, uh, tied for second at Wells Fargo. So I think it was more of a blip. I do. I also think you know uh, Potomac is a pretty good comp for this course because shorter had to hit the fairways, um, and he you know obviously played very well there. Then he was fifth at the PGA. I mentioned before that being in that final group, um, I thought was good for him. I know you kind of disagreed with that, but. 
I think this is a good spot for him. And, you know, there's the narrative that he can't win in the United States, and maybe that's true. But So maybe getting to Canada is, uh, yeah. could, could help him out. Well, it's a friendlier place for him, isn't it? But uh, the only concern I suppose I'd have is that the two miscuts he's had this season are the players and the heritage. <laughs> oh, yeah, that actually is. That, 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 is that, would, that would be... And do you know, it feels like he's going down... Well, and as, as well last week. It feels like he's going down the Aaron Rye route of playing well at courses he shouldn't do, but not performing at the ones that he should. And that's maybe a little bit of foreshadowing that Aaron Rye is probably someone that we can talk about later. But it just, it just feels like there's some guys that are just performing when they shouldn't. And and when you think everything's going to plan, he doesn't. So that, for me, would be a reason just to drop out Fitzpatrick for me and just hope that he goes back and maybe people jump off of him after two miscuts in a row and get him at the US Open. Yeah, that's not going to happen just because he won because he you know won the the there. but yeah but but i you don't get the ownership discount on him pretty much ever like coming off a miscut i was hoping it might be a little bit under the radar you know i didn't expect him to be completely um you know on you know avoided by everybody but he's still gonna be very popular one of the most popular guys you know on the slate i'm gonna eat it i'm gonna i need to go back to the wall one more time if i got it from now and he won i couldn't live with myself so i'm gonna try one more t- not to mention i don't love anybody else um below him because it just really drops off so i'm gonna i'm gonna give it one last try yeah i mean i like to be honest, i don't like varna he's he can i'm not interested in 9700 varna whatever if he wins that's fine um but the trio of connor's hatton and female i think all make plenty of appeal hadwin's gonna be popular and, and i can leave that alone but connor's actually led the field and approach last week and i think he was top eight in t's green and when he does something like that i think you kind of step up and take notice Fall for the heritage in the past as well. Um, RSM, Sony, plays his short courses. He's the type of guy that kind of just plays well at different varying courses. But, you know, I, I like to see a little bit of that. And and I've kind of mentioned this, like, everyone kind of says, like, Canadians don't win the Canadian Open. Well, before it was kind of like Mike Weir or no one else. Like, and that's not the case anymore. You, you've got Connors, you've got Hadwin, you've got Mackenzie Hughes, you, you had Taylor Ventra for a little bit, like... Nick Taylor. There's plenty of people that can kind of fill that void, so I don't feel like there's this massive pressure. I know was it Mackenzie Hughes got called the Brooks Kepker of Canada or something at one point. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think they. I don't think they put too much pressure on themselves. So I, I do think Corey Connors is pretty interesting at 9600. Yeah, I, I do think there is pressure. Um, a lot of these, you know, events where we start with the um, the Mexico event. You know, everyone wanted. Not the one this year, but the one in the past. And yeah. WGC is one answer to play well. And like they, it just, it's just different playing in front of your home crowd. And especially Connors. He's you know from Toronto. He's, it's not like he's far away from this place. And I think there's going to be tons of pressure on him. Um, and I do like him to play well. I just think you know, he hasn't shown us he can win with less pressure, never mind with all the pressure he's going to be facing. So I do think the pressure might be a little too much for him. And I'm just going to go to Tyrrell Hatton, $100 cheaper. And he's... You know, my main pick to win this week. I love Hatton. I love all the, you know, the, the comp courses we said. He's played well at Heritage. Um, and I think he's the type of game that you want here. He's been showing, you know, trending a little bit. Played very well at the, at the PGA. He's 13th in approach in his last 24 rounds, which is, you know, not really like Hatton. When he's winning, it's not because he's, you know, gaining a million with his irons. He's really just kind of scrambling around. I think, uh, speaking of scrambling, I think it's a good fit for this course, too. He gets around the greens. He's the best putter in, on tour this year. So a lot to like about Hatton. Yeah, and another guy, like you say, top three at the Heritage. Uh, and what I liked about Hatton at the moment is where last year and maybe even the year before, like he was really struggling in the bigger events. 13th for the Players' Championship, 13th for the PGA 
50 seconds of Masters wasn't great, but like he seems to be playing well where you'd expect him to play well. He's not missed a cut all season. Um, so yeah, there's there's plenty to like about Tyrrell Hatton. And the only thing I would, I, I don't, I just, I never envisioned it. I know he's already done it at Bay Hill, but like I never envisioned him winning on the PGA Tour. It just feels so weird to me that he just strikes me as someone that should just be on the DV World Tour, racking up wins left, right, and centre, and, and doing it. And I thought he was actually quite a good candidate for Live, but. Uh, apparently not. Maybe he's just kind of got settles out there and doing things because it certainly looks like him and Fitzpatrick are the ones. Him, Fitzpatrick, and Larry have kind of all taken steps forwards this year. Um, and I actually think Hassan's been kind of left behind by Larry and Fitzpatrick in terms of people's thought process. He has, um, and you know what? When he actually did win in, at API, he really showed it coming, and he was kind of trending towards that win when he did win. And it seems like he's, you know, so when he won at API, he was. Sixth at the CJ Cup, 14th at a WGC China, sixth in WGC Mexico, then he won. So three top 15s in a row. Now, you know, he's 13th at the players, 26th at Heritage, 13th last week at PG, uh, in his last start of the PGA. So I do think he's kind of trending that direction. He's definitely a streaky type of player, and I think, um, you know, Canada could be a good place for him too, and maybe a little bit of a different type of thing. Am I ruling out Harold Varner too prematurely? Like, when you look at the fact he's got a sixth and a seventh for the players, a second and a third at the Heritage, um, that that kind of fits. Like, if, if I'm going on those two courses, then I probably should stick with him, despite the fact that I just shudder at the fact that he's 9,700. But I just, you know, just looking at his form again while you were talking there, 6th, 57th, 18th, 23rd, 3rd, 48th, 27th. Like, he just keeps making cuts, keeps making decent finishes, and he's now inside the top 40 in the world. Like... It's actually really impressive. He seems to have momentum on his side. Yeah, when he's 7,800, that makes sense. But when he's 9,700, yeah. it's just it's tough for him to pay that off. And just when he gets in a position to contend, it's a disaster. And I know that when he, I mean, was 10 under in the lead uh, at, at where it was in Texas, and then he finishes at even par, that's scary. And you just can't trust him. You cannot trust him when he gets in contention and he's allergic to the lead and he backs up. Um, and I just, I'm not going to pay that for him. I never will. I think that's the thing. Like he can't, there's no flexibility if you play him, right? Like I think, I think that goes for a lot of this kind of nine K range. I think you've got to kind of make your pick. And if, if Hassan was yours, I, I would probably generally agree with that. Um, I, I would probably go with Connors, but I think you can basically pick one from there and maybe partner up with, you know, I'm, I'm looking at starting it with Connors and Smith and that kind of leaves me with a bunch of guys at the mid-sevens, which I don't love. Um, but if I can find a guy down the 6K we go along, then maybe I can get one of those in the 8K range as well. That's where I'm at too. My trouble has been, you know, coming into the show trying to find somebody in those that low sevens or the high sixes that I really, really like. And it, it's tough. It's really tough this week. But I do think that could be a, a good strategy pairing one of those guys. Finau will be another popular one. Um, I think, you know, he makes sense. He's been a little unpredictable lately, too. It's just like he has these wild outlier rounds where he's either really, really great or really, really bad. And it's, uh, I can't see him winning. I know he seems like a popular pick to win this week, but I'm not, I can't get there. So if I put in CT Pan at 8,100, who I think you've mentioned a couple of times, he's generally been really solid ball striking for a long period of time. I've got two guys in the 75 and 7600 that I'm going to come on to later. That leaves me 6900 for my final spot. I feel like I can find one guy in that sub 7k range that's worth 
putting in that 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 feels like a decent build for me. I've got Corey Connors, I've got Cameron Smith, who both I think provide win equity. Certainly Cameron Smith. Um, I think CT Pan's a winner. Like, I think he is in the right golf courses. Um, he's a guy that's obviously played well at the Heritage. Um, he, he actually won. He won the Heritage, didn't he? That was where he won in 2019. Um, yeah. Finished third at Colonial. Uh, Travelers eighth. Like there's the Honda third. Like there's plenty of short course form there. Wyndham second as well. Like I think even like the Olympic golf course was something that I saw got mentioned at one point as well. So all of those things kind of lead to me thinking that CC Pan is a good player. AC100, which I I don't think is going to be shocking to people. I think everyone else is kind of on the same wavelength. Yeah, he's going to be really, really popular. Um, probably one of the most popular, probably the most popular guy in the 8K range. Is that because uh, he's priced fairly, whereas everybody else is overpriced? Like, cause I think that could... I've skipped Hadwin, Munoz, Kirk, Mitchell between 9,300 and 9K because I just don't want to pay that much for them. Reed, 8,900. Um, and then there's a couple of guys there. Rose, that we'll probably talk about. Thigala, people seem to love. But everyone in that range just seems... Anyone between the 9K and CZ Plan just seems a little bit expensive. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, and I think this, there's not as much sticker shock like we talk about on him. And also I think, you know, a lot of people who use the modeling and, um, you know, these sites to get their stats from, he's going to pop in all of that. Like in my stat model this week, he, he was fourth out yeah. of everybody. And um, I think a lot of people are seeing the same thing because the pro numbers have been so good. He's good on short courses, hits a lot of fairways. And last week was a bit of an outlier. I know um, he still finished okay, despite the fact that he made a 10 on a hole. So he lost six shots on just one on one hole, and he still was able to finish in 53rd and make the cut. So uh, I think, yeah, a lot of people are seeing the same thing that we're seeing. Yeah, uh, it just feels like he's the one that, like... Because I, I wanted to play Justin Rose. I thought this would be a good golf course for him, but... It just feels expensive for someone that we keep thinking about going to and doesn't actually seem to pay off in the end. I know he's got the 13th for the PGA and he's got the 6th for the Farmers, but other than that, it's been pretty dross for most of the season. I mean, 12th for the RSM is a little bit encouraging. And maybe it's just that his schedule's so light that he hasn't had a chance to kind of get a run of events and start finishing better. But it feels a lot to pay for Justin Rose. I mean, we always talk about him at 7,600 and 7,500 as a one last hurrah, whereas... And that's what he's going to be next week, and that's probably the time to play him, I think. Yeah, I, I'm giving up on him, especially at 8,800, and um, he's not completely unpopular. I know he's, you know, the, the price is definitely keeping that ownership down, but I just don't trust him. Um, when he's bad, it, he's really, really, really bad. It's not like these other guys that you know around around him, where you know they might not be at their best, like um, a guy like Mitchell or you know or Kirk or Munoz. Like, yeah, they maybe they can't win, but if they blow up, they're not going to shoot plus 12 like Rose can. Yeah. He's, just so, he's so dangerous to play, and I, I'm, I'm going to avoid that. Is there anyone else that you wanted to talk about in the 8K range? Yeah, there's. so starting, um, I'm going to skip most of those guys, but starting at 8,400, I like Mackenzie Hughes a lot. Uh, he's not very popular. He plays these shorter courses as well. Um, I, do, I do like the idea of having a Canadian there because I do think they'll be – you know, one will get into contention, and I think that'll be a nice story. He's he putts very well in bent grass. He was good last week, seventh <coughs> at Memorial. Even though you know that's not a doesn't seem like it should be a great uh, great fit for him. Wells Fargo, which we do think is a, a bit of a course comp, uh, finished ninth there. So he's actually in pretty good form, and I think it's a shorter course that he can probably contend on. Yeah, I was surprised that like Mackenzie Hughes hasn't popped at like 
the heritage of the players. Like I, I thought they would both be golf courses that he would have shown something at at some point, uh, and he hasn't. I, I always think like he's another one like Zach Johnson. I think that like you don't expect him to play well because it's a long golf course, and then he just pops, and you're like, yep. what the hell just happened? Like he was sick for the Open Championship. He was sick for Memorial in 2020. He was, you know. Uh, 15th for the US Open at uh, Torrey Pines, 7th for Houston. Like, it just seems like he just shows up in these kind of courses that he shouldn't. But then on the flip side, he has got a 10th at Pebble Beach uh, in 2017. He's got a win and a second at the RSM, second at the Honda, third at the Travellers. Like, all of a sudden, 8th at Charles Schwab. You do see that he does play these short courses well, and it gives you a little bit more faith, I guess. Yeah, I, I think he's a higher ceiling play. That's why I like him. I can, you know, I can see him finishing second or third or fourth, and I I like that upside with him. Um, and another similar guy who plays some some similar course as well, who I like, is Brendan Todd, who was good yeah. a couple weeks ago. So I, I like going to both those guys in the low eights. Interesting enough, like Mackenzie Hughes, he missed two cuts when he was probably maybe even still an amateur at one point in this event. But the last three years, 32nd, 8th, and 14th, or the last three times we've been here. And that 14th, he was 7th at the halfway stage as well. Uh, never outside the top 15 at Hamilton, which to me just strikes like, okay, he never quite pushed on into contention and maybe that was a bit of pressure, but he seems to cope with playing in front of those home fans, which is a which is a significant factor. So I do quite like that, um, that Mackenzie Hughes play. Folks, sweaty sack summer is approaching and it's now time for you to prioritise the comfort of your crotch. That's why the king of crotch comfort, Manscaped, has spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. Now I've had the honour of testing out these new boxers and I can say it's the softest fabric of any underwear I've ever owned. It's so breathable that it's like gills for your groin. They even trademark the jewel pouch so you know it's serious. I think it's time for you to invest into your family jewels, so let your bulge breathe and get 20% off and free shipping by using the code LFW20 at Manscaped. Let's say you're on a date and your partner catches that Manscaped on the waistband of your underwear, it's almost a guarantee to raise some eyebrows and act like a billboard on a highway to Pleasure Town. The micro model fabric is buttery soft and breathable, keeping your cucumber cool. Walk, run or strut, these moisture wicking boxes breathe without breaking a sweat. The tagless waistband hugs your body without digging in and lays flat against your skin to reduce the chafing and the front fly opening gives easy access and makes bath and breaks quick and efficient. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code LFW20 at manscaped.com and that's 20% off and free shipping with LFW20 at manscaped.com. So once the boxes 2.0 touch your sack, you will never go back. Brendan Todd, you know, he's, he's a perfect profile, right, for, for what you want. Um, he's won the Maya Cobra, he's third at Charles Schwab, fourth at the RBC Heritage, um, third at Charles Schwab, Literally, like on the last start, like you said, 26th at the Heritage earlier this season, 11th at the Mayakoba, 16th at Pebble. Like everywhere that he should play well, he's playing well. And I like to see that, like 10th at the Wyndham 2021. As long as Brendan Todd is playing the golf courses that he should play well, uh, then you know he's in form. Because I don't really care whether he's played Mexico or Byron Nelson or, you know, whatever. I, I guess the players and the Valspar are a little bit concerning. I, I kind of like both of those, but. You know, it's not like he can't play well there. Right. Yeah, I, I like I like Todd a lot. He obviously is a guy who can. I think you know we might see somebody get in contention with just a hot putter this week. It, it seems like one of those types of courses, and he obviously can do that. So I like Pan, and I, I like all those three guys. 
and I was looking a little bit at, at, Rath, at Rasmus only because nobody is going to play him at all, and he just has that ceiling where he's so talented. I just He hasn't been good in the PGA Tour when he's ever had a chance, but again, maybe the Canada thing helps that. It's a little bit of a different type of vibe, um, and it could be a way to gain a, in, you know, a lot of leverage if he does play well, which I don't know. And you, you have a better idea than me if you think he's capable of that or not. Well, interestingly, he... He was sick for the Corrales and 18th for the Valeros. He's actually been, I guess, his brother that's really struggled um, right. on the PGA. So Nikolai's been awful. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he's a guy that is very firmly in the middle. Like, I don't know that he's quite good enough to play well here all the time. I guess it's a little bit like Garrick Higo. Like Garrick Higo came and won very quickly and everyone kind of wanted to bet him every week. And all of a sudden he, you know, is pretty lame for the most part. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that could, I mean, he played well at the Memorial last week, but like, I think that's probably Rasmus Hoygaard's ceiling. Like, pops one week, can win, just don't know when it's going to be. Um, I would probably like him on a little bit more of a... I, I don't know, actually, because he, he's won the Crown Cercier, which is like a, a tight golf course. Uh, he won the UK Championship, which, you know, British Masters, he was second. All of a sudden, you kind of look at it and think that's actually not a bad, uh, you know, way to go. So, could be interesting. I think... Like you say, on talent alone, he's probably as good as the guys that he's priced with here. Like, how much better is Sahith Thagala than Rasmus Hoygaard at the moment? I know, I know Thagala is popular and I know people think he's going to win, but this, I think this is a terrible course fit for him, for starters. Um, I think he wants a kind of bigger sort of layout, and I guess there's some for the, at the Valspar would kind of contradict that, but generally speaking, I think he plays his best golf on those kind of wide-open places. Yeah, Rasmus definitely talent-wise, he's, he's right there. But price-wise, considering results and stuff, he feels too expensive, and that's the reason why I want to play him a little bit because he feels too expensive. That makes sense. Let's go into the sevens then. Um, Aaron Rye, I mentioned earlier, like this should be perfect. This should be absolutely right in Aaron Rye's wheelhouse. Can get hot with his irons. Is a great scrambler. You know, short course hasn't got to put so much pressure on his uh, his driver. But his iron play has been pretty naff. And I don't know, just everywhere, like I said earlier, like everywhere he should play well, he doesn't. And everywhere he shouldn't, he does. Like 24th for the Mexico Open, 29th for Valero, 26th for Memorial. And then you look at 6th at Torrey Pines. And then you look at where he should play well, 90th missed cut at uh, the Sony Open. Uh, you know, 66th at the Honda Classic. It's just... 68th at the Charles Schwab, like barely made the cut again. Like it just, it just feels like when he should play well, he doesn't, and that scares me. But he had that 16th for the RSM earlier in the season. Didn't play the Heritage or the players, so we don't necessarily know quite how he would have got on at those. And I think he's been really, really impressive. I just, I just worry for Aaron Ryan that, like, I think he's just outside the bubble of the, the top 70 at the moment. But like, if he doesn't take advantage of some of these better golf courses for him soon, I think he could get left behind in the second half of the season. I think so too, and I I am not in, interested in him at all. You, the finishes look okay, but at, at Memorial he gained 8.2 putting, which is you know uncharacteristic of him, and he lost 5.3 on approach. Yeah. So I just think he's not. I think he, I think it's a little bit of an illusion that finish because I don't think he's playing all that well. He missed a cut at Wells Fargo, which is another type of claustrophobic type course where you where you and it feels similar. And I just don't think he is in as good a form as his price or his results would indicate. Yeah, so I think I think the trouble is now is that, like you said earlier, like this is a really really tough range. Like you've got to nail this seven k range, I think, to 
do anything this week. And I've got two mm-hmm. guys at 7-5 and 7-6 I really like. And the first one is Tyler Duncan, 7-5. Uh, I just, I love pretty much everything about Tyler Duncan's game for this golf course. Like, he was 15th at Clarion Hill, 12th at the Heritage, and 25th at the Valspar this season. His only wins come at the RSM. Uh, he was 17th at the 2018 Canadian Open, which wouldn't have been suited to him, you know, Glen Abbey. And I think, sneakily, his tee screen game has been pretty good considering he doesn't hit it a long way. And if I just think of, you know, Tyler Duncan is a poor man's Webb Simpson, then this feels like a good golf course for him to, uh, to compete at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, again, you get a little bit of sticker shock just because he's been the last guy in at like 6,800. The tough part is playing a guy like Tyler Duncan here at 7,500, and then like you still got to find one more guy beneath Yeah. Him. And it gets, and, it, and that's nothing, you know, nothing to do with him. I agree with you. I like the play, but it just, it just drops off so much. And, um, but I, I do like Duncan. I do. Uh, and the other one was Perez. I thought... He just withdrew. Ah, then it's not Perez. And he... He's going to live, isn't he? Yeah, he's going to play in the second event, it looks like. Yeah, so well, that makes it easier then. So that's one That's one less losing bet this week and uh, one less person I've got to worry about. So that makes the 7Ks even harder for me then because those <laughs> were the two guys that I was kind of pinning my hopes on. Um you would think the trouble is that some of the guys that you'd probably want to play in here have played like 36 holes at US Open on uh, US Open qualifiers, like Patrick Rogers qualified, Dylan Fratelli, I think, qualified. Uh, Matt Wallace is traveling back and forth, and we don't really know whether his form is good enough to play well on the PJ Tour or just good enough to DP World Tour. What about Grillo again? Uh, what's concerning for me about Grillo is that he is still really not doing what he used to do on approach. Yeah. Uh, he still lost four strokes last week on approach. Um, he was great off the tee, great around the green, but like his irons are really hot when you want to play him, and the fact that they still haven't been... He hasn't gained more than a stroke on approach since January. And um, Yeah, that doesn't feel like it's suddenly just going to turn around, does it? That's, that's no. a slight concern. There's a couple of guys in here that <clears throat> at the start of the season you'd have been really interested in, like Grayson Sieg would have been someone that would have been popular at this kind of event. Um, Ryan Armour, Matthias Schwab was someone I kind of looked at earlier in the year and he let me down horrendously. I think it was at the Valspar and I don't want to remember that one. But yeah, I, it's really tough. I mean, I always quite like seeing JT Poston playing well and coming into a golf course that he should suit. Um, I think he's a guy that's, that's done his best stuff at both of those courses that I like, if I remember correctly. He's won the Wyndham, third, sixth and eighth at the Heritage. 22nd at the players. I think he's also had another decent finish at the players as well, maybe a top 26 or something. Um, Charles Schwab, he was 10th. So I think JT Poston for me, 11th at Rocket Mortgage, that kind of got brought up a couple of times in some of the stuff that I read. 9th at the Wells Fargo, you said that you liked. I, I think he is actually a decent fit for this golf course. I agree. I like Poston. Uh, I like him a lot. He was one of the few I have uh, kind of starred down here. Um, I think every, you know, you said it all. The other guy I liked is, is Lipsky. It looks like I'm not alone on that. He's getting pretty popular because he's actually shown me that he can do it. You yeah. know, he's one of those few guys who have come over and they've, and they've really actually, you know, put some solid stretch of golf together. And, uh, he's been playing pretty well. Um, and I think it's a, you know, pretty suitable course for him, but he's getting a little bit in an uncomfortable range in terms of ownership for me. Don't want to go be your boy Austin Smotherman this week. No, no, no. <laughs> Is there anyone in those in those higher ones, Hubbard, Champ, Long, Rogers, that kind of stick out to you? Long's been playing pretty well. He kind of had a letdown <coughs> last week. I do think Long is fairly safe. 
Um, I don't know what the ceiling is here, but I, I, I don't mind him. I do like long. Um, Champ is, you know, too scary for me with a, a claustrophobic golf course. I, not really the type you want to back Cameron Champ on. Um, no one's going to play Burmy. Yeah, for good reason, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's long's an interesting one because like Mike Hover's a really short golf course, and that's where he's dominated in the past. Um, the Desert Classic has some of the short golf courses. He's, he's played well there. Uh, well, that's where he won. He beat Phil Wilkerson. Uh 12th at the Heritage earlier this season, 22nd at the Players last year, like 24th at the Travellers, 16th for the RSM. Contrary to his name, as we always say, he's not actually the longest player on tour, so that probably does explain why he does play one of these. It's just it's weird. I don't know if it's the fact that he wears a baseball patch on his arm that, that always puts yeah. me off. I like it, but it, it always puts me off the fact that he's not a golfer. But, uh, yeah, it, it's strange that he's a, he's called long and hits it short and wears a baseball logo and plays golf. It's He always seems to do things backwards. But he's a good player. Yeah, yeah but with these types of guys, all you need is one of those weird reasons to not play him, and that's all, that's all it takes. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> just optics, right? I think, you know, it's just, just literally just that. Um it's a t- it really is, t- and this is why you've got to be careful at the top. I think, like your point about doing a balanced build, is is pretty obvious because it just gets so scary. I mean, Nick Taylor, I thought was interesting. He's about trying to get Canadian into the lineup. It's one Pebble Beach, sixteenth um, at the Players, tenth at Pebble Beach again, eleventh at the Sony, two top tens at the Wyndham. I don't know. It's it's not someone. It's not someone I love. Too expensive. Yeah, I mean that is true. Like I think, but then everyone's too expensive here, isn't it? That that's the that's the problem you've got with this field. I think sometimes you have to kind of just do it and close your eyes and not worry about it and just blank the names out. Just put something on your phone screen that just covers all the names up. But he's seventy seven hundred and he was top thirty, I think, with his irons last week, twenty seventh. So uh, maybe I'm making that up. Maybe I'm looking at a completely different statistic here. Um, yeah, no, ignore that. He was 11th two weeks ago designs. I think that's a, a pretty encouraging sign. It is. And, you know, looking down here, one guy I really liked was Adam Shank. <laughs> he withdrew. Yeah. He was the one guy who was actually really starting to play well, and I really liked him a lot. Um, was it Shank yeah, it, that I played at minimum value not so yep. long ago? Yeah, that made no sense, did it? That was I think he, made, he did make the cut that week. Yeah. Yeah, that was strange. Uh, so, yeah, I, under here, I mean, it's, it starts getting dicey. Part of me wants to just play somebody who's nobody's playing because I think that they probably have more <coughs> chances doing well than somebody else. And I know ownership is going to be really, really concentrated this week on a certain amount of guys. Like, there's like 20 guys people are playing and there's really nobody else. So I kind of just want to click a name and close my eyes and see, you know, see how they do. Well, <laughs> like a name like Greg Chalmers? Yeah, sure. <laughs> or Al, Albin Choi? He's a guy. I don't know about that one. Um, Greg Chalmers is interesting because he actually, I think he's along among those list of names I mentioned earlier that was fourth here back when the course was, uh, you know, last year. But that's a long time for Greg Chalmers to uh, be good at golf. I don't know. I think he's basically broken as a human, isn't he? But you know, you look at his last three starts. He's got a 28th and a 41st. He might just be able to make a cut here. Um, yeah, I mean, I have no confidence in it, so I'm not gonna not gonna push that as a play. But it's just so tough, like. I don't actually know that I like anyone in this in the six K range that I could really really point to. Like just going along now and just seeing if I can find anyone that kind of sticks out to me. The uh, guy I had I had clicked was Kelly Kraft. Um, That's always worrying, isn't it? Yeah, very worrying. But he's 
you know, compared to everyone else here, he actually was 15th in Mexico, 49th at Wells Fargo. Um, he like everyone else here is just missing a million cuts in a row. So I'm just finding people who actually have done something. Um, Glitch, Michael Glitchick is another guy who did something. Not. Yeah, I, I said Michael Glitchick um, on the podcast yesterday. I think just that was that was an interesting one. And Chris Gotterup, I think, is someone that's interesting as well. Um, just a, a really high upside player, come out of college. I think he actually went and, and played well at the, the US Open qualifiers. Not sure if he got in, um, but his only PGA Tour start seventh at the Puerto Rico Open was uh, was quite eye-catching. What's his price? He is 6,300. 6,300, yeah. I mean, anything you can kind of go off of this week, I think um, I think could make some sense. Uh, so he did, he, did, he did qualify for the US Open, and he was named the Jack Nicklaus Award winner. So he's obviously got a really high upside. Like I think this is a guy that we're going to be looking at in a couple of years' time. But you know, you look at I think Colin Morikawa played really well in this event as a as a really young player. I think he was kind of fourteenth. It just seems like he doesn't. He's obviously come out on the Puerto Rico Open and finished seventh straight away. I mean, he'd won the Puerto Rico uh, Invitational in college, so that probably helped. But yeah, I just thought he was maybe of interest. You know, he's not going to be high owned. No one is at this kind of price range. Right. Yeah, um, the one thing I get worried about with those past Palm guys, it seems like they play so well in the Puerto Rico and Mexico, and then they just don't play well anywhere else. Yeah. And I always get, when I see that form, it's it's concerning. Even the you know Brandon Wu was kind of a similar situation. Um, who else was I looking at? Um, Glidgic, I kind of liked. Kraft, I kind of liked. And then um, <coughs> another one. Is there another one? Um, no, not really. No, I, I think I would just be naming names now for the sake of naming names and. You know, you do have to do that to an extent. That's why we're here to give people some players down here. But you, know, like you, you would want to have backed Roger Sloan not so long ago in this event, and he's been absolutely terrible. Like, it's just, I don't know. Like, when you've got players like Mark Hensby playing, I don't know what you do anymore. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know either. Um, Johnson Wagner's playing. That... Jonas Blitz just qualified for the US Open by a really decent score as well, but he's he's been terrible for a long time. He's somebody who you thought, like, in ter- when he was at his peak, this could be a really good course for him, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know anymore. No, I don't know what Jonas Blix is anymore. Like, he's not a uh, he's not the guy that came second in the Masters on his debut anymore, is he? So, um, I don't know. I think I think you're just kind of just listing names for the sake of listing names now. If we, if we go any further, um, high upside, Braden Thornbury is a guy that keeps getting kind of spoken about in, in the commentary tour, but he's not even doing it on that level. So, um yeah, I'm pretty done. I think if I was going to play anyone, it'd be Chris Gosser up at, at 6300 just because I trust uh, Skylar Hope's kind of take on him and, and he likes him. So I uh, I like that. But others, otherwise, I would just stick to... I mean, Pat Perez pulling out is is really quite damning for me. Uh, that that <laughs> kind of ruined my life. Um, what can I do if I put... So this is interesting. So I can have Connors Smith and Tyrrell Hatton starting with Tyler Duncan and Chris Gosserup and leaves me 6,800. If I can find one more guy in that in that area, uh, you've got Carl Sotis, 6,700, Satoshi Kodaira, 6,700, Vaughan Taylor, 6,800, I'm assuming comes up at statistically at some points. There's just no one, is there? There's just, that's too scary to do. Jonathan Bird? Yeah. Bryce <laughs> Garnett's been playing okay. Bryce Garnett, let's have a look. 15th last time out. 
What's he done on these? Because he, we know where he plays well all the time. Like there's no, there's no surprise whenever he plays well there. But let's just have a look at kind of his other best stuff. Fifth, the Travelers. He's got an eleventh and a seventeenth for the Heritage. Yeah. He he yeah he seems okay. Eleventh at, at the Honda has a sixth at the Wyndham. Yeah. That could be an interesting one because he tends to be a guy that can piece some form together, especially back-to-back courses suit. And he actually, I think he was either the first-round leader or one behind at the players. Uh, obviously, tailed off quite quite massively, but he can obviously play those golf courses as well. And that, that heritage form is really encouraging, even if it is 2015-2020, quite a long way apart. But that might be the guy. It might yeah, be Price on it. I would play him. So now that leaves me with Corey Connors, Cameron Smith, Tyrrell Hatton, and then a very scary Tyler Duncan, Bryce Gunnett, and Chris Gotterup. Yeah, it's a scary trio, but I mean, if you can get them through, that's, uh, you got some win equity on the top. Well, that, that's the thing is like you're just plugging your you know, you're just plugging your nose and hoping because what else? You, you can't even really build a balanced line. I don't even know how balanced you can build if you if you start with two guys from the ninth. Like that was my point when you when you were talking about Duncan at seventy five hundred, like that's technically a balanced build and he's still can't be the last guy in on a balanced build. So it's tough. You gotta just plug your nose and close your eyes and <coughs> click some buttons. <laughs> this is scary. I'm just I'm just trying to build something else here. So you could go that's worse than the one I just put together. I'm not doing that. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, th- I think there's, there's some work to do on this one. Um, I think we've named the guys that I think we can rely on. Um, I don't think there's any... There's, I think it's very obvious, like you said earlier, there's, there's 20 guys that people want to go to and you've just got to build it uniquely as opposed to uh, just trying to find that one diamond in the rough because they're going to be very much in the rough this week at the Canadian Open. That is the problem with this field. Like Someone said to me, like this field's terrible. And I thought, well, you know, you've got like five of the top ten in the world and then you've got the five. And then no one else, and it's like, yeah, okay, that that's yep. it's a really unbalanced, uh, really unbalanced field, and this kind of plays into Liv's hands, right? Like there's 48 guys over there, and I know some of them are pretty dreadful, but there's only 48 of them, whereas here you've got 65 guys, 75 that can't win and shouldn't even be there, and they're playing. So, right, what do you, you yeah, want to see? Abs- abs- yeah, absolutely. And but be- and before we start with the thing uh, with the prices here, I just want to um, say. Kevin Na is going to win the first live event, so bet him. I saw a 16 to one on FanDuel. A couple of other places have that, so I think that's a, that's a good bet this week. Yeah, he's definitely going to be big fu mode, Kevin Na. So uh, once we figure out how we're going to find time to start covering that as well, I'm sure we will. Uh, I don't think it's going to be on DraftKings. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to be. Apparently not. I think that probably I, the the tour has too much of a, a yeah, interest. I thought it was going to be because. I just assumed they'd have to at some point, but they haven't put any odds up this week and they've got that partnership with the PGA Tour, so maybe they're just going to avoid that. Um, let's go with our favourite guy above the 10K range then. I'm going to go with Cameron Smith. Above 10, I'm going to have uh, Rory. Uh, 9K? I'm going to go Hatton. I will go Connors. Uh, oh, the 8K range, this is this is dreadful. I'm going to go with CT Van. I don't really care how chalky he is. I'm going to go with uh, Mackenzie Hughes. Nice, I like that. Uh, 7K then. Ooh, I don't really love anyone down there. Um, I will say Lipsky. 
I'm going to go with Tyler Duncan. And then the, the real golden question. Oh, that was the one guy, actually, that I didn't mention. I have got my betting card is Brant Snedeker. Huh. At 200 to 1. Just because he's shown a little bit of form recently, like he's made a couple of cuts. His irons are picked up in, in varying starts. But he loves Canada. And I know it's obviously very Glen Abbey-like centric. But... You look at his like event form, 7th, 5th, miscut, 34th, 1st, 25th, 5th, 8th, 4th, and the 4th came at Hamilton. So wow. I think I think actually I've, I've missed the one there with Brant Seneca. Uh, he would be my guy. He's made his last two cuts, um, 18th for the Valero. Just just looks like he's finding a little bit. It's concerning that he didn't play well at either the players uh, or the Heritage. The players doesn't really matter. It's a bit funky, but the Heritage would have been his jam. So that was a little bit of a concern, but... You know, otherwise, you know, Sony played well, RSM he played okay, American Express he played okay, so he looks like he can still get it around these kind of golf courses. So, actually, Tyler Duncan would be my favourite at seven and five, but Brent Seneca would be there at seven one as well. I like it. Six K. Oh, this is horrible. I'm gonna go Garnett. I like Garnett. I think that's I think that's a good one. What about Luke Donald? Are we doing that again? I never really have done it, so I'm going to continue not to do it. That's probably wise, isn't it? It's probably wise. Let's have a look. I am just going to go with Chris Gotterup. I just just wonder if there's some upside to him. I just think he could finish inside top 20 or 30 in a weak field and and pay off at 6,300. So that will be my favourite there in the 6K range. Matt, we've got the US Open coming up. Um, Very much looking forward to Brookline. And yeah, hopefully we can get an early preview in for that one as well. If the pricing is out, that would be good. Uh, I actually fly to New York on the Monday. So if we can do the Sunday, that'd be great. Uh, just breaking that news to you while we're on the podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if, if, if that all works out, then we can get a podcast out Sunday for the listeners and, uh, and look forward to next week. Yes, yeah, Sunday Sunday's great. Um, I live 30, 40 minutes from Brookline, so I'm excited for this event. Are you going? Um, not that I know of. I was I was thinking of um, of going. I I think I have the opportunity to go if I if I wanted with a credential. But I don't know if I if I want to do that right now. I think I'm just kind of want to enjoy the event. But I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I'd rather go with friends or something. We'll see. It, I don't like watching golf at the golf course. No, I don't either. I I me and my dad used to go to golf all the time. This is going slightly off topic now, but we used to go to golf all the time. Went to the Open Championship every year, and eventually you just can't see anything. And like Wentworth is the worst for BMW PGA Championship. You just can't see a thing. Like as soon as you get, it was once you get to Sunday and there's only like four or five groups worth following. Uh, it's absolutely horrendous. So um, I actually prefer golf on TV. I do that. For, same for all sports. I mean, if the Patriots are in the Super Bowl, I would I wouldn't go if you offered me free tickets. And people think that's crazy, but I want the full experience. I want the commentary. I want to see all the, you know, in terms of U.S. Open, I want to see all the shots. I want to experience the course. You know, in different ways. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, if I were to go, it would definitely be on like a Thursday or Friday, and then just enjoy the rest on the weekend. Yeah, I think going on a Thursday is probably the pro move because you can, you can avoid the weekend crowds, and there's going to be a definite you know taste for it in that major championship after years of being off. So, Matt, thank you as ever. Um, I look forward to Sunday's podcast on the US Open, and we'll catch up then. All right, sounds good. Have a good week. 